Dungeoneers. Welcome to Applied Dungeoneering, the D&D 5e actual play podcast that loves the great outdoors. I'm Josh, the Dungeon Master, and I'm joined, as always, by my friends and co-hosts. We have Daniel here, who loves the furry things that live outside. Josh, help me. Help me. With with what? What do you need? I, I, I I brought... A bunch of meat out here to pet the dogs and and they're not dogs and they're circling me and i'm tired and i want daniel those, <laughs> daniel those are squirrels those are squirrels daniel i think he's dead that poor boy uh-huh. eaten alive by squirrels yeah, don't, don't mess with squirrels squirrels are opportunistic carnivores <laughs> <laughs> thank god we don't have to worry about butter now daniel aside Janelle's here too, and honestly, to begin with, I was a little worried about your allergies, but now, are you okay now that your husband's dead? Uh, no, actually, I'm gonna have to go fight off, apparently, man-eating squirrels now. Well, you're a woman, so you don't need to worry about that. Oh, I guess that's, that's true. Um, it'll be like Lord of the Rings, where he's like, no man can kill me, and she's like, that's cool, because I ain't one, then murders no. him, so it'll be that sort of situation. And then no man-eating squirrel can eat me. Yep. Hey, it's, it's me, Squirrel Sauron. <laughs> well, now that we've seen the dangers of the outside, Nate's here. And he's enjoying the beauty of the outdoors from the comfort and safety of his computer screen. Outside's dangerous. Inside is clean, perfect, pristine, controllable, and moe. <laughs> I would have got outside. <laughs> Did you not see the pink keyboard I just got? I got blue highlighted accent keys on the top row. <laughs> and it comes with a little kawaii wifey. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you, Nate. I like the sound of that. Nate needs to go outside and touch grass. <laughs> uh, excuse me. I just bought the grass keyboard, so whenever I feel like, I just reach over and touch grass. <laughs> well, I guess that's better than not going outside, I guess. Awful. I can relate. I added a new layer to my walnut mace. Get out of here, Squirrel Sauron. We don't want you. <laughs> Okay. Bring back I, Daniel. I we'll see. <laughs> well, Daniel that's the way. Joel's here. And honestly, I, I think he'd rather be on vacation out in the rugged wilderness as opposed to sitting here talking to us. Yeah, I've been taking all kinds of wilderness survival classes. So I know stuff like moss only grows on like the south side of trees and um, sunrises in the north. And never follow water because it'll only take you to the ocean and you can't live in the ocean. <laughs> there we go. Wilderness expert Joel. Uh, just wait for our spinoff podcast. We'll give you the best wilderness survival advice you need. Also, yeah. wood burns best when it's wet. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. Thanks. <laughs> this is a travesty. So yeah, Joel, where, 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 where have you been lately? Like, oh, what was your last trip? Tell us about it. You said it was pretty exciting. Well, yeah, I mean, on that one, that was a bit of a fluke. I had to get rescued by the the rangers, but it was just because... No, I'm not going to get into it. Okay, maybe a, a story for a different time then? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't my fault. I'll just say that. Okay, well, we'll, we'll be looking forward to that then. 
Why'd you look at me when you said that? <laughs> Finally, we have AJ, AJ, who's renowned far and wide for loving the outdoors so much that he proposed marriage to it, but was obviously rejected. Yeah, well, I mean, well, hold on. I wasn't saying obviously rejected. I mean, but, you know, we had, we well, had just, a good relationship. Just seeing and... like, how you behave in the wild and your skill level... In I mean, sure, survival. I'm a bit young compared to the Earth, but like you know, people make it work. And sure, that was the Earth's argument too. Uh, you know, Earth said, "I just want to keep options open." You know, so many people like Earth. It's like, well, okay, you know, I mean, a lot of people like the Earth, but you know, I love the Earth, and I thought that meant something. But well, yeah. that's that's a whole different issue. That's not what I was talking about. Oh, awkward. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope y'all have fun with your problems. I'm going to give Daniel back. No, that's fine. <laughs> I just wanted to say no, I'm Sauron. ready for adventure. You know what, Squirrel, Squirrel Sauron? I appreciate you coming in and uh, undoing the awkward moment. Please don't go. Hey, no problem. <laughs> Hail Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, leave. God damn it. <laughs> <sighs> oh my god i died and i came back hi daniel well now that uh, daniel's back how are you guys all doing this week i'm worse now yeah well don't be a crybaby about it fine whatever. yeah this is why mother nature denied you <laughs> oh yeah well at least you know th- shut up <laughs> oh yeah i'm doing pretty well josh Good to hear. How, yeah. how are you, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I'm hoping that I don't sound too bad. I, I I went camping this weekend and actually got back like an hour before recording, so I don't know if my voice is kind of smoky from the from the campfire. Um, but it was it was good. I I had a really really good weekend. Well, sounds like a great um, weekend. Yeah, but it really sounds like you should butter me up and churn me. No, that's not the saying. That's not, that's not the saying at all. It's completely wrong. AJ, I don't think you get to tell Daniel what the saying is and isn't. Yeah, AJ. Daniel, I think you don't want that to be the saying. You want to rephrase it? You know it? what? You're, you're right. You're right. It's, it's a new... We're turning a new leaf for this adventure. Really? So I'm going to change the saying. Are you serious? Josh. Oh, my God. I'm ready to get dirty. Oh, Let's no. Go. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right, we're, we're going to go camping. We're going to get dirty, and we're going to play D&D. Not necessarily in that order. Yes. Damn, Dirty Dan. <laughs> <laughs> dirty Daniel. Love it. And I'll take it. It's better than butter. So before we get started, I will give us a quick recap of what happened last episode, and then we will jump back into the action. Wait, wait. I have a great joke for the for the butter th- for this last thing. Can I say it? It's great. I just I just missed it. Hold on. Uh, uh, Trent down did his thing. AJ. I can't believe it, but I like this one. I can't believe it's better than the butter. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Are you done? Yeah, no, I'm great. Yeah, I just I'm gonna <laughs> put the put the good joke in there. Yeah, no, I'm good. Go ahead. So last episode, <laughs> you glean. 
laugh. <laughs> you, you made me laugh. I heard you laugh. I can't help it. Just go. Just go. It's fine. Okay. So just go. <laughs> so last episode, you gleaned more information from the young woman you had rescued from the crumbling ruins at Deer Hamins. Learning that the valley is in danger due to Glamir's dangerous machinations. And you also gained five separate trails to follow to continue figuring out what's been going on around you ever since you first set foot inside the town of Brimpton several months ago. And then, finally, the most important thing, after a short visit from Mr. Smills, you guys leveled up. Woo! To level six. So let's get going on that. So I'll set the scene. A green light glows around the edges of a simple door as a metallic hum reverberates through the air. On the other side of this door in a small room sits a young gnomish woman who we recognize as Priscilla. She's sitting in a small chair that looks like it was sized for a child, but due to her stature, it's perfect for her. There's a strange green amulet in her hands, a talisman of some sort, crafted out of the jade-colored stone-like material called orichalcum. The green light is emanating from this amulet as if shining from deep inside of it, and a tendril of light is connecting this amulet to her forehead. Sitting on the floor next to her, his legs stretched out across the floor and his eyes wandering around the interior of the cluttered workshop, is Jasper. There is a second tendril of light connecting to his forehead as well, forming an unbreakable connection between the two of them with the amulet as a connector of some sort. And that should do it, Priscilla announces, jumping to her feet. I'd say that's enough for today. Don't want to go too far. Jasper pauses his scan of the room for a second and turns to look at her and stare before inquiring. Why is it necessary to perform such knowledge transfer? I am already a suitable servant. The young gnome turns to look at Jasper, her expression fading from innocent delight to a more serious look. Jasper, because you're not a servant, you're a friend. The more I transfer to you, the more personality you'll get. That's why the rest of my friends have been helping out, to give you a wide variety of thoughts and feelings and personality traits to work with. Jasper continues to stare for a little bit and then states flatly, That is inefficient. It would be better if you were the only one doing it. That way my mind would be exactly like yours, and we could avoid disagreements. Priscilla chuckles quietly to herself. I can see you've adopted some of their pragmatism. She circles around the room, grabbing various parts for another project that she's working on. But I don't want another me. I want you to be your own person, Jasper. The best one you can be. Also, the mage in the academy who lent me the amulet said it would be dangerous to give too much too fast from a single source. It could... Well, honestly, I don't know what would happen, but it sounds like it'd be really bad. I see. Jasper muses for a bit. He would have rubbed his chin in thought, but his arms are new enough that he hasn't quite gained that level of movement yet. And then after a moment, he turns his head to look right at her. I'll be the best I can be then for you. 
Priscilla looks over at him and smiles. I believe that, Jasper, she begins. But as she speaks, the shop floor seems to have changed into rows of polished wood flooring, and the collection of items on her shelves seem to be falling away to reveal the library of your adventuring group's vineyard home. I would believe that, she says, locking eyes with Jasper as his mind begins to return to the present day. If you hadn't let me die like that. And with those words, Jasper becomes keenly aware that he is sitting in the middle of the library on the upper floor of your home. And he looks up and sees his reflection in the mirror. Right now he is wearing the same amulet that he had remembered seeing Priscilla wearing during their exercise from many, many years ago. And as the glow of the amulet fades, he sees in the reflection that Fergus is standing in the doorway to the library, staring at him with a confused look on his face. Uh, uh, Jasper, are you okay? You're talking to yourself. Yes, I have been far too lenient to this group. What? (sighs) And Fergus looks really confused and just a little bit scared as eyes begin to dart back and forth. Incompetency, poor decision-making. We will need to optimize all of this if we are to fulfill our goals. Jasper, where's this coming from? Simply, we have things that need to be done and we'll first start with the discipline of making sure this house is clean. Get the mop and get the tub ready for Theo. Jasper... (laughs) You said you were going to teach me magic today. I will teach you create water and purify water and purify water at a higher level because we're going to need it for Theo. (laughs) (laughs) So, Nate, now that we've had our little flashback, why don't you let us know what Jasper gets at his level up? New spells you all get to figure out when the time is right and you will enjoy them. Are they create water and purify water? <laughs> no, they're cantrips, sadly. And Theo's too dirty for this, so like... It's fair. It's fair. He's a dirty boy. And I have to roll hit points. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we'll do it at the end. I need to make sure... Uh, yeah, I gotta make sure, you know, uh, AJ's you know, rolls look good when I roll my nat one again. <laughs> yeah. So is, is, that, is that really all you get at level six, Nate? I thought... I get the instinctive charm. Basically, if someone attempts to attack me, I can make them roll as my reaction. And then they have to make a spell deceive with wisdom. And if they fail, they get to smack someone else. So maybe Jasper can survive one attack. So basically you wink at them and then they have to attack someone else instead of you. Well, I was thinking more of like I pull up my robes a little bit and show off my ankle, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's like... Well, I brought what to hit this robot. Ooh, what a cutie. <laughs> well, no, in all seriousness, in Jasper's side, I'd probably just take off his face. Oh, oh God, yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. All right, well, Coolio. So, for Fergus, although he doesn't actually learn any new spells at this level, he does gain a boost to his cantrips. So he gets his uh, potent cantrips ability, which 
basically allows him to add his spellcasting ability modifier to any damage that he deals with his spells. So Jasper at least taught him something aggressive. <laughs> so maybe that'll help if it comes up again. He can really clean Fio now. <laughs> <laughs> so while Jasper is uh, helping out Fergus with learning some cleaning spells to help around the house, we'll move to the other end of the property. A loud crack echoes through the air as a sharpened axe cleaves through a piece of timber, sending the two halves tumbling down to join the piles of firewood on either side of the chopping block. Theo stands tall, sweating slightly, the cool breeze sending a chill down his back. The monotony of this work, combined with a long day of physical training, is causing his mind to drift, revisiting old thoughts and old memories. In his mind, Theo is transported back to when he was young, little more than a child. This night, he sits up straight in his bed, sending thick fur blankets tumbling to the floor. There's a thick orange haze hanging in the room as the smell of smoke invades his nostrils, and an oppressive heat assaults him as the protective furs fall off of his body. However, this is not what caused him to awaken. It was the screams he heard from the floor below. With a shout, Theo leaps from his bed and lands on the floor. The boards below him burn his feet as he stumbles towards the stairs. <coughs> Mom! Dad! I'm here! I'm here! He shouts. The building is ablaze its wooden walls blackening as the sudden fire spreads rapidly to every surface it can reach. Not a single board or piece of furniture is left untouched by the consuming flames. Theo coughs as the smoke settles in his lungs, and he sputters out another weak cry for his parents. The roar of the flame has risen to an unnatural volume, consuming the air itself as the fire likewise consumes the home. The flames writhe around him, forcing him to stop his advance through the rooms of the house. Ah, help! He shouts again as his eyes scan through the house. I, I can't get to the door! I need... Theo's voice sticks in his throat. Up ahead, he sees them, just outside of their own bedroom door collapsed on the floor on their way to his room, silently burning, motionless. For a moment, he can only stare, but the flames feel no pity and they begin to blister his skin. The tears that begin to roll down his cheeks are not from the pain from the fire. Mom! <coughs> Dad! No, I, I can't! His voice breaks off and is replaced by something else. In that very moment, the child's voice rises into a roar, a primal shriek from deep within that challenges the flames themselves. Theo loses himself in a rage that wells up from inside of him. The flames begin to whirl around him, but they are no longer burning him. To Theo, the roaring fire has become like a bird song for but a moment. As the flames wreathe over him, they begin to diminish, absorbed into his body by the primal elemental force that had taken him and made its body his own. In a few short moments, 
The ruined home is as dark and cold as it had been before the fire, except for a steaming Theo. Patterned lines now displayed across his now red skin, with their glow fading as his consciousness begins to do the same. Please. He takes one more stumbling step towards the two shapes laying on the floor, but his body fails him. As his consciousness leaves him and he falls back into the darkness, Fear could have sworn that the last flames to escape resembled the feathers of a vast wing taking flight into the dark night. And with that, in the present day, Theo realizes that the log he is holding in his hand has burst into flame as his fist grips it with a white-knuckled death grip. Oh, oh crap, oh jeez, oh god, Tuo, uh, get the water, get the bucket! And Tuo comes running over with a bucket full of water sloshing around in his mouth. That's not, no, that's Gunner's bucket. He doesn't, but, all right, it'll, it'll work. So, now that Theo has come back to the present day in his mind, uh, why don't you tell us what he's got with his latest level up? Well, as we just saw, he, he gained a new path feature. So with the uh, Stormhound at level six, he would normally get fire resistance, but it's sort of his thing already. But he also gets this new ability where basically things within a certain range that are flammable he can sort of touch and they just burst into flames which is pretty pretty cool and also terrifying because that's exactly what Fio doesn't want to have happen and uh, he also gets another rage which is pretty cool so he's up to four now a lot more raging gonna happen so we can look forward to that other than that not too much uh, I think just maybe a status boost but those are the main things those are the main things what oh, status boost are you talking about? The health. The health thing. I, I'm going to roll for that later. Oh, okay. <laughs> More health. You can really confuse me there for a second. I was like, That's all what? right. I'm full <laughs> Theo mode, so like my, my Theo-isms are, are like on point now. Yeah, what what size house would you describe um, <laughs> Theo as now? Is he more of a little firehouse? A bathroom an outdoor bathroom to a firehouse what how, how would you describe him i'd say he's a a brick house do 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 whatever is that he's red <laughs> oh my god because no, he's like yeah. big buff and and he's it's like this it's like the song you know he it, built like a well he built him like it's infectious. Everyone's turning into Theo. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so Tuo also gets a little bit of a level up too. I think uh, Theo's probably happy about this. Theo's been training him. Um, but now Tuo gets an extra attack. So Ooh, now he boy. gets to attack twice with his sword. Oh, that's so cool. So yeah, he probably just like, probably just grabs a sword and like swings in a circle like a Dark Souls boss attack and <laughs> just hits everybody. I was thinking either that or maybe he just swings it so hard it just pivots in his mouth automatically so he can swing back the other way. <laughs> He's just very quick with it now. Oh, yeah. He must be training with Gunner and, and, and Vince. That's probably what it is. Yeah, Fia <laughs> would never teach him anything so elegant. No, no. He's a hack and slash. So... You guys have probably noticed a theme so far, so we'll continue forward as Fio is 
getting lost in his own memories and burning the firewood that he's chopping preemptively. We'll once again move further down into the property, past the fields and to the edge of a small grove of trees. Gunner stands in the middle of a small meadow, hemmed in by trees to one side and the vineyards of the property on the other. The sun hangs high in the sky, providing warmth on this otherwise chilly day. Crude training dummies constructed from straw and burlap are set up in a gauntlet of sort, posed in various attack and defense positions with weapons and shields made of cheap timber. With a quick motion, Gunner draws his two blades, holding them out in a battle salute that causes them to gleam in the daylight. He takes a deep breath and closes his eyes as the rustling of the leaves and grass fades as he too slips into a memory of a time long past. In an empty warehouse, abandoned long ago by its owners, stands five figures, all of them mean-looking lowlives with weapons at their sides and sneers on their faces, and with a sixth figure lying on the ground in front of them, groaning in pain. Gunner stands on the other wall, facing towards them with his face hidden behind his signature fox mask and his blades held out threateningly. Without warning, three of the figures lift their crossbows and fire them, while the others move forward, slashing at Gunner with their weapons. The hairs on Gunner's arm stand up on end as he rapidly shifts from his elegant elven form into his ferocious bestial one, and he rushes forward at a blinding speed, dodging the bolts fired at him and rapidly closing the gap with the other figures. There's a flash of steel, and one of the thugs falls to the ground, attempting to hold his intestines in. A gurgle of pain heralds a slashed neck as another falls to Gunner's blade, and a cry of surprise echoes through the chamber as the third one finds himself without his sword arm, a realization that lasts for a moment before his head follows suit. The two crossbowmen turn to aim their weapons at the figure on the ground, but the prone dwarf kicks out and causes one of their shots to go wild, striking the other crossbow wielder instead. Gunner's sword flies through the air and clangs against the other's head, and then a quick punch knocks them to the ground, where they stay for good. After a brief scan of the carnage, Gunner drops to his knees next to the figure on the ground. Bacchus, are you alright? The dwarf clasps Gunner's hand as he's helped into a sitting position. I'm alright, Gunner. I'm okay now. I'm safe with you at my back. Hey, you'd do the same for me. Gunner helps him to his feet. As long as we can still rely on each other, nothing can stop us. And with that, Gunner comes to, and he is still standing in this small secluded meadow. Pieces of straw and torn fabric are slowly blown across the grass and he glances around at the training dummies, which are now broken and torn into unrecognizable masses, as if mauled by a wild animal. As he beholds the carnage, his eyes come to rest on his bag, with the remains of Bacchus's wooden bear mask leaning against it and staring at him from across the field. 
His eyes become wet as he stares at it for a while, and under his breath he mutters, I'll always have your back, buddy. He pauses for a moment, and then adds, I'll get my revenge for you, Bacchus. I'm going to find the ones who killed you, and I will take everything away from them for you. What was that, Gunner? And a voice cuts through the clearing, causing Gunner to whirl around to see the familiar figure of Laszlo stepping through the debris and making his way towards him while munching on a fresh apple. Yeah, I, I was just upset at uh, uh, what, a, what a mess this is. I mean, no, uh, uh, no, no point in crying over uh, spilt guts. I mean, milk, right? And Laszlo looks at Gunner and he says, You're a terrible liar, Gunner. You know what? I could be good at lying when I want to be. Maybe I just want to be emotional. This whole adventuring thing is hard, but I just... I can't stop now, you know? And Laszlo looks at Gunner and he says, You want an apple, Gunner? Yeah, that, that, that would be pretty nice, actually. Yep, t- toss it to me. <laughs> so while Gunner's eating this uh, delicious apple, uh, why don't you tell the audience what he gets from this level up? Well, the thing, this is the thing, is, John. Well, the thing <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, it's bad form to eat while recording. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well, so Gunner gets two things at this. Well, okay, he gets a few extra spells. Yay. But aside from that, the actual features he gets, the first one being extra attack. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but that means Gunner gets an extra attack. What? Well, yeah, I, I most know, people I was, get that I, at fifth level. I <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, so the reason Gunner gets it at sixth level is because it comes from his subclass rather than his core class. But Gunner does also get something from his core class. He gets the counter charm ability. So basically, as an action, Gunner can do a pretty sick pan flute solo. <laughs> or more realistically, he's going to clang his swords, swords together really loud. But during that time, he and any friendly creatures within 30 feet of him have advantage on saving throws against being frightened or charmed. So it's pretty cool. Man, and nice. and it, it, it just it just lasts a turn. So he can either keep doing the performance or he can, you know, do any of the other cool things he can do. <laughs> All right, cool. So Laszlo was probably watching Gunner with his practice a little bit and taking his own notes because Laszlo gains his own ability this level up. He gains an ability called Coordinated Strike. So now Laszlo is a little bit more adept at fighting alongside you guys and providing helpful advice and openings. So whenever he uses his helpful feature to aid an ally in attacking a creature, the target can be within 30 feet of Laszlo instead of being next to him. And then if Laszlo himself takes advantage and attacks that creature as well, he can deal an extra 2d6 damage on a hit. So, Holy crap. He's, he's become a little bit more effective effective on his own, so uh, maybe you guys should consider taking him out on a few adventures. Maybe he'd like not being cooped up. Maybe he could do his own mission, you know? Sidekick quest? Yeah, side quest with uh, just me playing the other three characters, and you guys can, you know what? You guys can play all the bad guys. I like this. We can, Ooh, we can do there this. There we go. Like this. 
So Gunner and Laszlo wrap up their little yeah, apple-eating session, and later that afternoon, further into the Grove of Trees, we'll move to our next character. So the light of the now-setting sun filters in through the leaves surrounding this small grove of trees, allowing Aegon to peruse through the scriptures and religious texts laid out around him. He's usually very diligent with his studies, but this day he's starting to doze off. His head is nodding and his blinking is becoming a little more labored. Suddenly he is forced to grasp a page as the wind tries to blow it over, losing his place in the book. And as he grabs it and holds it in place, he pauses and looks down at an old drawing. He pauses for a moment, staring at the picture, which shows an angelic being descending to the earth below and offering its hands to a mass of wretches reaching up toward it. Aegon blinks slowly as he continues to stare and his mind begins to drift back into a not-so-distant memory. In this memory, Aegon stands at the edge of a tall, rocky cliff near his home temple, looking out over the blazing ocean as the, as the setting sun bathes it in an orange light. But he doesn't look tired or relaxed here. He looks troubled, scared, even. I, I didn't mean for it to happen. I didn't mean it. He whispers to himself, a slight tremble in his voice. An ocean breeze tugs at his robes, which are still stained with smudges of dirt and trampled grass. Please, mighty sovereign, gods of Emerald, please send me a sign. Please tell me what it is I must do. The winds begin to grow stronger as the sun disappears behind the horizon and dark thunderclouds begin to roll in at an alarming rate. But Aegon continues to stare ahead, unaware or perhaps uncaring of his changing surroundings. How can I atone for what I have unleashed? With a roar, a storm hits, blowing dust and dried plants into the air and tearing at Aegon's robes as it blasts the area around him. He staggers as a blinding light pierces through the clouds above and illuminates the entire cliffside. He looks up for a moment in terror as something emerges from beyond. A large golden ring hangs in the sky, spinning rapidly with another ring spinning separately inside of it, and then yet another one inside of the last, each spinning on its own axis. Runes glowing a fiery red adorn the outer edges of these rings, and as they spin, they do not leave blurred streaks of light, but they leave lines of divine text, as if meant to be read from a book. Aegon lets out a cry and falls to the ground, but just as quickly as everything appeared, it all goes silent. The winds die down, the clouds disappear, and the rain stops. A gentle light caresses the area, and the surroundings appear to be untouched by the spontaneous violent event. Aegon remains on the ground, 
curled into a tight ball, shaking, until a soft voice fills the air, ringing like the sound of a thousand bells. Do not be afraid, Aegon. I mean you no harm. Aegon slowly looks up, afraid of what he would see. Standing in front of him is an elk, towering far above him with gleaming bronze skin and a warm, comforting aura spilling out from it. The fear he had been feeling is washed away in an instant. What do you want of me? He asks, genuflecting in reverence to the divine spirit he now stands before. The spirit takes a step forward and responds, I have come to answer your call, child of the sovereign. I bring you great tidings and a task. It steps forward again until its antlers are inches from Aegon's face. A task that you must fulfill to atone for your crime of ignorance. And with that, Aegon is jerked awake again as he feels a tugging at the foot of his robe and he sees Master the Cat playing with the folds and creases of his robe. Oh, Master, what are, what are you doing out here? So the cat just lets out a small chirp and continues to play with his robe. It's dangerous for small creatures like you out here. Come on, let's, let, us, let us go back. Let us return to the rest of our friends. And Aegon goes to pick up all of his papers and whatnot and set back off to the house. <laughs> so while he's walking back to the house with Master the Cat chasing out the uh, tail of his robe, what does he get during this next level up? Yes, Aegon gets another feature from his patron, and that is Radiant Soul, and that gives him resistance to radiant damage, as well as uh, whenever Aegon casts a spell that deals radiant or fire damage, he's allowed to add his charisma modifier to that uh, damage roll. So, and due to him getting this, he's also giving up one of his former Eldritch invocations, the uh, Agonizing Blast that buffs his... Eldritch Blast in much the same way, and he is gaining Aspect of the Moon, which allows him to no longer need sleep, and he cannot be forced to sleep by any means, and uh, to gain a long rest, he just has to spend all eight hours doing light activity. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah, yeah. And he also gets some spells. But let me guess, you're going to wait to tell us about those until later. I'm sensing a pattern. Oh, uh, I could. I, if, if someone wants, really needs to know right now, I could. I suppose I could tell you. Don't do it. No? Keep it a mystery. Keep it a mystery? I'll just say this. I think it's going to be very useful for the coming uh, adventures. <laughs> I like the sound of that. So with that, we will leave Aegon and Master the Cat... And we will move deeper into the night, well past midnight, to the time when everyone else is asleep in their beds. So just a real quick note, too. So Janelle, since I don't actually have a speaking part for Vez in this uh, particular flashback, would you be willing to provide a little voice acting for me? Uh, yeah. Will it sound pretty much just like Vez, though? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make sense as soon as we get to it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Janelle. Uh-huh. A warm breeze blows through the vineyards of Ragas Mate, ruffling the leaves of the flowering grape vines surrounding the adventurer's home. 
The moon hangs low in the sky, its opaline light filtering through the trees and into the open window of Vez's bedroom, where she lies asleep. It is not a peaceful sleep, however, but a restless and terrifying one as she twists and turns in her sleep and grimaces as if in pain. In her mind's eye, she sees two figures hidden behind a crumbling section of stone wall in the courtyard of the temple she once called home. She is still a small child in this memory, so she is able to remain well hidden behind a nearby cluster of thorny bushes while in the guise of a human girl. She watches as her mother, in her human guise as well, and dressed in the simple dark robes of an acolyte, stands straight as a rod with her hands planted firmly at her hips, arguing with a man standing opposite her. The man cuts a dark figure against a torchlight behind him, and he is dressed in dark crimson robes with a black scapular trailing down his back and his chest, marking his office as a high priest. Vez shivers while looking at him. I said I won't allow it. Her mother hisses, keeping her voice as low as she can without losing any of its menace. I will not allow my daughter to become another pawn in your little game. The man stands firm, clenching his fists and attempting unsuccessfully to raise himself above the height of the woman in front of him. You knew this could happen someday. The man responds, keeping the same quiet menace as Vez's mother. When we took you in, when we gave you a place to stay, you pledged yourself to the service of our Lord. You should be honored. Your daughter has been selected to join his ranks as... Vez is a defiant and strong-willed. To a fault. Just as I raised her, my daughter will not be a slave to anyone. Not even the temple or its leadership. She pauses for a moment and then adds... My daughter deserves more than to become a mindless killing machine. The dark figure stands silent for a moment, and Vez feels a sense of menace emanating from him. The man slowly turns and looks over at a statue standing in the center of the courtyard, depicting a handsome man with feathered wings on his back, but they are attached upside down with the feathers pointing upwards and splayed outward. He allows the silence to fester for a little bit longer before responding quietly. You would defy a direct order from a god of vengeance? Fez's mother also turns to look over at the statue. No. Her voice is full of disdain when she responds. But I would defy an order from you, however. The shadows begin to deepen and Vez's night terrors begin to morph into a flurry of torches and shouts as the man slowly responds, You will regret that. And Vez awakens to a loud bang as her door slams open. Moments ago, a groggy Theo was stumbling through the hallway, intent on picking up a midnight snack from the kitchen area. However, his late-night hunger was replaced by a sudden burst of sorrow guilt and fear. The thing in his head had melded his mind with Vez for just a brief moment. 
with his natural protective instincts in overdrive. He ran forward and burst into the room to protect his friend from whatever was assailing her. A fact that a still-dreaming Vez was not privy to. So when Theo bursts into the room, he startles the was-sleeping Vez, like you do when anyone bursts into your room when you're sleeping. And when he realizes that there is, in fact, no one in there and goes to wake her up, instead of, you know, just walking over nicely, he's instead greeted by a wave of force that just slams into him as Vez powers on, arms and all, ready to go. After smacking him (laughs) with her arms, she also lands a really good solid kick, because if Vez is known for anything, it's multiple punches and multiple kicks. (laughs) Yeah, so so poor Theo (laughs) just gets knocked on his ass immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Not Not even a second. (laughs) and she goes to do this next punch because she's ready but that is when she does realize after Theo calls out Vez whoa hey Vez calm down it's just me I'm here are you okay um no I'm not obviously um why why are you in here I how can you uh, I mean I was walking down to the kitchen and and I think the the worm in my head, I, I don't know how, but I, I knew you were in trouble, and I, I just felt like such fear, and I just, I had to come in to see if, you know, if it was Smills or not, because I thought maybe it came back, and I, I came in, but you were fine. You were just wrestling in your bed, and I came to wake up. I think you were having a nightmare or something, but I, I was just worried about you. Yeah, no, it was. So sometimes I have this nightmare, Theo, um, and it's about when I lost my mom, and, you know, it's one of those things where I know it's technically not my fault, like, in my logic brain, but everything else tells me that it is. It is my fault, and I struggle with that always, so here we are, sorry, that you had to connect with that. Hey, no, it's it's okay, Vez. I I completely understand. I do. I well, one thing that's kind of my job. I know I'm not good at it sometimes because they end up punching either you or or Jasper or somebody else. But I, that's my job. That's don't worry about that. But I I understand that feeling, maybe more than you realize. And yeah, it's it's a struggle that. You know, it doesn't really go away completely. Um, but you know what? I'm always, I'm always here if you need help or you want to talk about it. Because, I mean, what else is family for, you know? Thank you, Theo. I, I really appreciate that. What time of day is it? Uh, it's definitely tomorrow. Okay, but why can I see you? You can, you can actually see me. I thought it was just a lucky punch. You can see me? Yeah, I can stop. Actually, I can see everything. So actually, this is probably a good point to let us know what Vez gets during her level up. Yeah, she gets a couple of things. So obviously more health, like you do every time, and another key point, and five more feet of movement. But the cool stuff that Vez gets is her astral visage, which basically what this does is it's a spectral mask or helmet, and 
It allows me to see normally in darkness, both magical and non-magical, to a distance of 120 feet. So no longer <laughs> blind all the time in the dark. Holy crap. <laughs> now that's another tool in your arsenal of pretending to be an elf. <laughs> yeah, except for I can still be put to sleep, but that's a problem for another that, day. That was a, a one-time uh, thing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> this also gives me an advantage on my wisdom, like insight and intimidation checks. And I have, it's called Word of Spirit. And basically when I speak, I can direct my words to a creature of my choice that I can see within 60 feet. And that creature can then hear me but nobody else can so it's kind of like a comm unit almost like a secret agent i don't know uh or i can just get really really loud like amplify my voice so loud that all creatures within 600 feet can now hear me so that would be pretty scary and then the last thing she gets is it's called key empowered strikes and essentially this just means that all of my unarmed strikes count as magical weapons so i am a magical weapon you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) so then with that Vez settles back down to continue with her restless sleep and Theo continues to the kitchen for his sandwich or whatever he's going to eat this late at night and then the next morning as the bright morning sun glitters across the dew scattered across the leaves of the vineyard all of our adventurers take a moment to stretch out and relax after a large breakfast of sausage and biscuits. A crew of outcasts bound by fate and sharing in this moment together. Their paths have led them here to this moment with their pasts still clutching close to their sides and the silent words they exchange with each other confirm their sense of solidarity in confronting their bound fate, fragile as their alliance may seem at times. And with that, our heroes begin a short period of preparation and healing, readying themselves for the upcoming task at hand. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it and our other episodes with your friends, family, and co-workers. Your boss, if you're daring. Visit our website to find your copy of a D&D Quick Starter Guide, and feel free to join our growing community on the various social media platforms in the description. There, we discuss episodes, Dungeons & Dragons, and STEM topics that we all love. Thanks again for listening. We can't wait to see you here at Applied Dungeoneering. Some of the background music in this episode is from Monument Studios. Check out their other music at monumentstudios.net.